Father, again, we thank you that you foreknew us and predestined us. You elected us and called us to be justified that someday we will be completed and glorified. And we're absolutely confident that the work that you've begun in our lives, that you will finish. Father, we also thank you that as you have promised to restore Israel and bring that nation to yourself, that you have elected them and that you will also complete the work that you have begun in that nation. And Lord, as we look at Daniel 9, I pray that you'd give us understanding in your sovereignty, in your electing sovereignty, not, into, not only to individuals, but to a nation. Father, again, we thank you that through the death of your son, that he could cry out on the cross, it is finished, that redemption is complete, that what he began on the cross, he finished. And that we stand in your righteousness, his righteousness. And we don't have to worry about our sin and whether it condemns us, because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that these truths of completion would guide our thinking throughout the entire part of Scripture. As we not only look at people, but a nation. You're a God who completes things. And we thank you for that. That every promise that you have promised will be fulfilled. Lord, may this bring a great joy to our hearts and an encouragement to us. As we see this world falling apart, we know that we are at the center of your will. And we just look forward to the completion of all these things. Again, help us to have wisdom so that even as we study prophecy... These might just bolster our resolve, bolster our faith. And all that you have promised, again, you will complete. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles today to Daniel chapter 9. Again, we've been going through the book of Daniel. Last week we looked at Daniel's prayer. It was, it's interesting to me, and we'll mention this probably again, that it was during his time of prayer and confession that he had the greatest understanding, the greatest uh, vision, it says, or revelation of what God was going to accomplish for the nation of Israel. In fact, it says in Daniel 9, verse 5, that, he, that we have sinned and committed iniquity. And you remember that entire prayer of Daniel's. It wasn't just about himself. He was confessing the sins of, his, of the nation. And the question was this. And this is, the entire, this is why God sent Gabriel, the angel, to tell Daniel this is what's going to happen for the rest of the time on this earth. I'm talking the rest of the time until the end of time. Okay, until Jesus Christ comes back, sets up his millennial kingdom. This is going to be the, this is the big picture, Daniel, because your prayer has been this. We have been such a wicked people. We are a wicked and sinful. We are full of iniquity. We are full of sin. We are full of transgressions. We have walked away from your law. And the, the conclusion could have been, and are we off the table? <laughs> is there no longer anything... Do you have any dealings with your nation, God? Because look at how bad we are. And after the long prayer from verse 1 to 19, God answers that prayer. It is in the midst of his great humility, confessing, look at what verse 20 says, I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin. You've got to get that. It wasn't just the, the nation's sin and the sin of my people Israel. He was confessing his sin. And you say, but he was such a godly, righteous man. He was a godly, righteous man. It's godly, righteous men and women who really sense the, 
the depth that the sin goes, and not just into action, but into motivations. And he's confessing his sin. Not only his sin, my sin, but the sin of my people Israel. Corporateness, community, Jewish thinking. It's Greek thinking that says it's all about the individual. It's Jewish thinking that says, no, it's all about the community. What we just witnessed as far as members coming into the community. We need to take care of each other. It's very, very important. God's thinking is community thinking. It's about us, not about me. And sometimes, see, if you think, if you think it's about you, that's Greek thinking. That's selfish thinking. It's about us, not about, not about me. And so membership is very, very critical. Well, I don't see member, I don't see the word used in Scripture. Well, I don't see the word Trinity used either, but it's biblical. It's very, very important. And so as Daniel is confessing his sins, he's also confessing the sins of his nation, of the nation. Because why? Because he has great care and concern for the people of Israel. And yet again, the context is it's around the 67th year. They've been in captivity because of their sin you know, that, that's what drove them out of the land of Israel in the first place was because of their, their, their iniquity and their transgressions. And God sent Nebuchadnezzar, and he even says, as my servant, to chastise my people Israel and to bring them out of the land for 70 years. Now again, you go back to verse 4 and it says, just, just to kind of connect, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O, great, o Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy. By the way, that's, that's a little fill-in, but it's the acknowledgement of God's righteousness. See, before he ever gets to his confession in verse 5, he acknowledges who God is. He says this, God, you are great, you are awesome. You're one who keeps your covenant. You're one who keeps your covenant. And mercy, you're merciful, you're gracious. Other passages, you're loving, kind. But notice there's like a condition with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. But, is, but this is what Daniel would say, but we haven't. <laughs> That's why I'm confessing, verse 5. See, acknowledgement of his wrongdoing and his people's wrongdoing. But we have sinned, we've missed the mark, we've committed iniquity. We have done wickedly, we have rebelled even to depart from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded, verse 6, your servants, the, the prophets who spoke in your name. In fact, not only did we not heed them, sometimes we even killed them. <laughs> Do you see the, the conflict here? God, you are righteous, you are perfect, you are holy. In fact, verse 7, he says, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. And he does a complete confession. In fact, I believe, you know, he prayed three times a day. I believe every prayer was a time of confession for Daniel. I don't think this is the only time he confessed. Not the same sins, but as sins come up, confession. By the way, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. It's completed. So why, why does he keep going back? Because he's talking about the sin of, his nation, of the nation. Lord, allow them to know how sinful they really are. See, he's confessing. By the way, do I still... In my prayers, do I keep confessing? Yeah, not the same sin, but do you keep seeing the sins pop up in your life, the motivational sins? I mean, how many times have I confessed the sin of selfishness? How many times have I confessed the sin of envy? Many, many times because I confess, but then I find my heart still moving in that direction. Right? So here's Daniel, and he, he says, I'm confessing my sin and the sin of my people. By the way, why is God's righteousness mentioned in, in the context of confession of sin? Because again, verse 7 is talking about, you know, verse 4 and 7 is how great God is. And yet, in the midst of that, there's the confession. And I think I left this as a quote. Our sinfulness is most clearly seen in the context of God's righteousness. That's very important. We will, we will be pained by our sinfulness to the degree that we see Christ, or God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness. That's what pains us. We have to see the dichotomy. We have to see the contrast. God, you are so holy and righteous. I am not. And the degree that you see how holy and righteous he is and merciful and gracious will depend on how much pain your sin is seen in your own eyes, right? 
That's why it's important to study the Bible. It's important to study God. It's important to study his characteristics and attributes because you're starting to see a better picture of his holiness, his loving kindness, his righteousness, even his grace. His grace drives us to our knees, doesn't it? To think that he is so gracious and yet you still fail so miserably. And I do too. So again, our sinfulness is most clearly seen in the context of God's righteousness. In fact, verse 12 says, Thus he has confirmed his word, which he has spoken against us. So we have Daniel acknowledging God's righteousness in verses 4 and 7, and then acknowledgement of his own wrongdoing in verses 5 and 6, and actually throughout the, up to verse 19. Keeps going back, keeps going back. But again, as you keep going back, and he says, and you are faithful, and you are merciful, and you keep your covenant with those who love you, obviously Israel did not love God. That's why they were in captivity. They were disobedient. Do you see this, the problem? Okay, you're a loving God, you're merciful, you're gracious, and I know that you keep your covenant with those who love you, but we haven't. So what happens to us? Now, he knows what's going to happen because it says you're going to be in captivity for 70 years, but then what? See, that's the point. What after that? All right, we're going to come out of captivity, but are we still your nation? Jehovah, are you still going to work in Israel after this long time of idolatry, after this long 60, 70, actually 70 years of captivity? Where are we on the, on the radar, as it were? By the way, before I do that, let me, I, I kind of skipped ahead, but this acknowledgement of wrongdoing, and I, do you remember the prayer of Joe Wright? This happened in 1996, talking about uh, community confession, okay? This is the prayer of a pastor, and this is how he opened up the legislature uh, session of, uh, of Kansas in 1996. And I found it just interesting. It was kind of like Daniel confessing the sins of Israel. Here is a pastor confessing the sins of America. Okay? And notice how poignant, how powerful, and how biting this prayer is. I mean, he gets right to the point. He says this, Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe on those who call evil good. By the way, does our nation call evil good? But that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our value, your values. And we confess these things, therefore. He says, we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have exploited, exploited the poor and called it the lottery. <laughs> I found that interesting. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. He says, he goes on, Search us, O God, and know our hearts today, and try us, and see if there be any, any wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin, and set us free. And then he goes on, and some specifics, and then says amen. But you know, why is that so biting? Why? Because it's so specific. If you're going to confess sin, if you're going to confess your sin, or if you're going to confess the sins of our nation, let's get very specific. Are we a wicked nation? Would you say we're a wicked nation? Would you say it this way? Are we a very wicked nation? Are we a very wicked nation that is coming under the judgment of God? By the way, are we a very wicked nation under the judgment of God and not only unbelievers, but Christians will be also part of that judgment? 
In one sense, yes. In the physical realm, not the spiritual. Obviously, condemnation is gone. But we will have to partake in America's demise, right? I say that to say this. Sometimes we think, you know, the way it was, it will get back to that. No, I don't believe it will. It may. I mean, I'm not saying there won't be another great uh, awakening. But most likely, there won't be. Why is this important? Because you know what? We need to pray. We really do need to pray. But we need to pray like it really matters. Like, Lord, we are very wicked. Lord, please protect us. Please, Lord, change this nation. That might take some very, very severe measures. Can God, will God still do it? Not can, will God still do it? I don't know. I don't know what his plan is. But the point is, this man was very pointed. Daniel, in confessing Israel's sins, very pointed. We need to be. So again, call sin, sin. (laughs) Now, in the midst of this prayer, okay, he's praying. Again, verse 20, confessing my sin and sin of my people and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. In other words, he is praying for Israel. He is praying, he is confessing. It's at that very moment, verse 21, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, he reiterates. Listen, it's while I was praying. <laughs> I mean, we heard the prayer in verses 1 to 19. He tells us he's praying in verse 20. 21, he says, yes, even this, it's like this. Man, it was because of my praying and God hearing that this is what happened. It's all because of God. But it's because I was aligning myself with God. That the man Gabriel, by the way, that's the angel, but looked like a man, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning. That would be chapter 8, the vision of the, the, the ram and the goat. Because he also uh, gave Daniel insight to that vision. Uh, being caused to fly swiftly apparently from the throne of heaven, reached me about the time of the evening offering. By the way, angels are not, cannot be at all places at once. They're, they're uh, you know, uh, help me out here. Finite, yeah. You know, they have to fly. They have to get to somewhere. They're not just like God where they're everywhere. So he, he is apparently swiftly like commanded. No, as Daniel's praying, Gabriel comes. I mean, kind of get the picture here. Of the time of the evening offering. Now that was done in Jerusalem at the temple. Well, the temple has been destroyed. But he kind of dates it. He's saying like, you know, when the temple, if, if the temple was being in operation right now, it would be time of the, the evening offering, afternoon, second lamb, when the second lamb was, was, um, was uh, killed. Look at verse 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have come forth to give you skill to understand. You've been asking about this. You've been praying and confessing the sins of your people. Now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to your people. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. In other words, when you started praying, the command went out. And I have come to tell you from who? Well, probably directed by God. For you are greatly beloved. Isn't that interesting? The man who was confessing his sin, who was pleading for his people... His heart was such a godly man, is greatly beloved. You know, there's only other one other man in Scripture where it says the beloved one, the beloved disciple. Who is that? John. Daniel is the greatest book in the Old Testament concerning prophecy, knowing, understanding prophecy. He is the greatest. Daniel, the book where that is by far the greatest. Oh, Ezekiel has, and Isaiah, they have many prophecies, but not like Daniel's. Whole scope. Beloved. The other one, John, what did he write? Revelation. Isn't it interesting? The two books of Scripture that are, are, are the best understanding of prophecy. What's going to happen on this earth? Both of their authors were called beloved. Now again, think about the earthly context. Now I'm going to just back this up, kind of set it up for the rest of the message. Evil is on this earth. Yet the Bible says that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That's what 1 John says. Now think about it. So the the conflict between holiness, God, evil, wickedness. There's this conflict. Now, many reject God because they reason. If God were all-powerful, like the Bible says, and all-good, like the Bible says, why is evil allowed to exist? I mean, this is the greatest question unbelievers have. You say God is holy and powerful. How is it? And good. And how is it that evil exists? Since evil does exist, therefore either this. Either they say, well, God is powerful, but not good. Or he is good, but not all powerful. Or he doesn't exist at all. 
I mean, those are really the three options they have. Or to believe what the Scripture says, and he is all-powerful and all-good, and yet he, he exists, but evil exists as well, but it's just in a temporary form. <laughs> See, there's this problem. See, because God and evil are not compatible. That is the problem. And yet you're telling me that your God is powerful, and you're telling me that God, your God is good, and yet why is there all this evil in the world? See, the Bible also tells us that the world's current fallenness is just a temporary condition. Do you know that? This is just temporary. It's a result of sin. Someday, sin and evil will be destroyed. In fact, in the coming restoration of all things, this is the huge theme. Yes, everything is out of whack, but it's just for the moment. It's just for a short time frame. This is like an anomaly with God. God is holy. There was perfection from eternity past up to the time of this earth. That's when the rebellion happened. Now, the question is, what's going to happen now to the end until eternity future? That's what Daniel 9 is going to be talking about. See, there's a restoration coming. A new world is coming. Many, many new things are going to be happening. And Daniel is going to be bringing this out. Because the whole idea is this. God is good and powerful, and yet there's sin in this world. And and somehow this has got to be changed. They can't live together, as it were. I don't know if I'm making sense. Well, just let's go on, and maybe as time, you'll see this. Here in Daniel 9.24, we find a concise summary of how God will accomplish this restoration and the renewal of the world. That's what we're going to be seeing from verse 23 to the end of the chapter. We're going to see how God destroys sin, and then the new heaven and the new, well, ultimately Christ coming, second return, and then the new heaven, new earth. It's kind of all found within these last few verses of chapter 9. And as you get up to it, verse 24 says this, 70 years are determined. 70 years are determined for your people and your holy city. And notice the thing. Now, this is the first thing that he's, he's going to be, uh, the, Gabriel is telling Daniel, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the uh, most holy. So he goes from the angelic interruption, as it were, where, Daniel, or, uh, where Gabriel comes and says, listen, I, am, I have flown quickly from the throne of God, I believe it was the throne of God, and I have come to tell you the, the, the vision, I have come to tell you the answer to the vision, I have come to tell you what's going to happen to your people, to Israel. And in verse 24, it's the divine accomplishment. This is what's going to happen. And he basically lays out all of time up to the end as far as the new earth, new heaven, new earth. And it's all found within verse 24. Okay? And then he goes back and then he adds pieces to it. So for our purposes today, we're just going to look at verse 24. In fact, just the first few parts of 24. The first is, in verse 24 it says, For your people which is Israel, and your holy city. That's the focus. That's Roman numeral A in your outline. Who's who's in focus here? This is not about the Gentiles. This is not about the church. Gabriel is telling Daniel about your people, that's Israel, and your holy city, that's Jerusalem. Now remember, Daniel's almost 90 at this point. He knows the uh, Babylonian captivity is coming to an end. He's not going back. To Jerusalem, He's not going back to the land of Israel. He's too old. He doesn't go back. But God wants him to know and us to know what's going to happen. So this is about Israel. Remember last week or two weeks ago we talked about the fact how Daniel is, uh, is broken down into different languages. Like Daniel chapter 1 up to chapter 2 verse 4 was written in Hebrew. And then starting in chapter 2, verse 4, he goes all the way to the end of chapter 7 in Aramaic. Talking about why? Because it wasn't about the Israel people. It was about the times of the Gentiles and the, the, you know, the, the ten-nation federation and the, um, the, iron, or the image and you know, basically the Gentiles. But now in chapter 8 and chapter 9 to the end of the book, he's in back, uh, actually writing in Hebrew. Why? This, this passage is specifically talking about the Hebrew people. Look at the objectives. How long will it take to accomplish these objectives? 
And he says it right at the beginning. He says, 70 weeks are determined. So the focus is the Israel people. The focus is Jerusalem. How long is it going to take? 70 weeks. And you say, 70 weeks? That's not a very long time. Well, the word week is a generic term meaning sevens or units of seven. We normally associate a unit of seven with the day, you know, with the week, seven days. But actually, this is just a generic term. What he's saying is this. If you just read it, it just says literally 77s are determined. 77s. And you're saying, well, I wonder what the 77s are. How long? Is it 70 days? Is it 70 literal weeks? Seven days in a week? Is it 70 months? Is it 70 years? I'll give you the short end. It's actually 70 years. I'm not talking about days. By the way, he, he was talking just earlier when he said the, um, in verse 2, it says the word of the Lord came through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. The context of chapter 9 is years. And I believe by the time he gets to verse 24, he's just continuing on this thought. See, it's not definitive in Scripture. It's not according to the context that you have to decide. Is he talking about 70 days, 70 weeks, 70 months, 70 years? Well, it must be because of the context. He's already in, thinking about the 70 years of captivity that he's talking about 70 periods of years. So it's 70 times 7 is what I'm getting at. 70 times 7. Context is everything. If, if I was to go to the donut shop, you know, uh, you know where I really like the donuts is Walmart. Or not Walmart, Wegmans. Not the other place that's right in the thing there. But if I was to say, give me a dozen, they're not going to give me bolts. They know the context. I'm there. I want donuts, right? Here, I, I think it's the context that it says it's 70 times 7 and the seven years. So 70 times seven years. And what God is telling through Gabriel to Daniel is this next phase. You've, you've already gone through two phases, and now there's a third phase that I'm going to do all the things that I have promised to Israel. One man said this, God's next program for the Jews will consummate 70 years times seven, that is 490 years. The six divine accomplishments, which you see in the second part of that verse, starting with to finish the transgression, uh, we will be again seeing for the next couple weeks. But it's again 70 times seven, or they call them heptads, groups of seven. In fact, even the word, the word for week, is not the normal word for seven days. It's got an I-M at the end of the word instead of an O-T. The idea of heptads of years are found in the sabbatical cycles in the Old Testament. In other words, okay, when it, when it comes to this type of thinking, the Jews were very familiar with it because they had seen how that the sabbatical, as far as even on the, on the 50th year, they were supposed to let the land lay fallow. That's what the whole issue was. So again, it's in the, it's in the mind of the Jews. That, okay, weeks can either be seven it can either be like, like taking a Sabbath on the first day of the week or the last day of the week, or it can be the cycles. They understood it, and I'm probably saying more. You could, I'll just say it this way. It's 490 years. Now, this is where it gets a little bit interesting, actually difficult and interesting. Look at that little chart in the middle of your uh, outline. Why did... Jew, why did the Jews go into captivity? Because they forsook the Sabbath as far as leaving the land let lie. And they did that 70 times. And if you go, 70 times 7 is 490 years. They violated that, that uh, instruction by the Lord of allowing the land to lay fallow seven times, or 70 times. 70 times they violated that command in Scripture. Now, they were actually in the land for about 814 years. Apparently, there were times where they allowed to, the land to lay fallow. Didn't, didn't do it for that one year. But apparently, 490 years worth, 70 times, 70 times they violated that. 
That's the first part of that. 70 times 7 sabbatical years is violated, which got them into the land, uh, uh, taken away by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, this is by Harold Holkener. I, I never thought of this, but this is pretty interesting. They violated the command 70 times. They were sent to the Babylonian captivity 70 years because of one for every year that they violated. And now as Daniel is praying and confessing their sin, God is saying, listen, the rest of the, the accomplishments for me, in other words, what I'm going to accomplish in Israel is going to take place in a 490-year period. 490 years. Now, let's go to see, just because of time. What will God accomplish? Oh, no, I, I got I to gotta back up here, because you're going to say, well, wait a second. This was written... 500 years before Jesus Christ. Now, that's 2,500 years up to this point. What do you mean 490 years? Did did all this get accomplished before that? No, but what you're going to see next week is this. From the time of of the the decree to uh, build the wall, Nehemiah's time. Now, this is really great. From the day of the decree until Jesus Christ walks in Riding on the donkey, okay? The week before what we celebrate, you know, Palm Sunday, that day right there, is exactly 600 and, or, excuse me, 69 weeks. 483 years to the day, to the very day of the, the, the wall, to the time that he comes into Jerusalem, to the very day, accomplished 483 years. Now, 483 years is just shy of one week, right? Because 483 is 69 weeks. That's 69 weeks. And you say, well, where is the 70th week? The 70th week of Daniel is what we call the tribulation period. So the point is, is this. All right, the point is this. When they were violating the Sabbath, leaving the land fallow, did that happen consistently every year, year after year? No, no, actually, it was intermittent. According to Chronicles, what happened is they were obedient to God some years, and they were disobedient other years. But if you take the whole 814 years, there was 490 years where they did not let the land lie fallow. And therefore, those 490 years which every seventh year was 70 years, they were in Babylonian captivity. For every one of those times, they were disobedient. Now, what does he say? But now there's 70 weeks are determined for you. 70 more, 70 weeks left. That's 490 years. You say, okay, how did that divide off? Well, the way it is, and I'm just kind of jettisoning the whole issue, is there's going to be where you, see, where you see a decree goes out, which is Nebuchadnezzar, build the wall. And there's going to be 69 weeks are used up, and then there's going to be a space, a big space between the 69th week and the 70th week, and that's what we call the 70th week of Daniel, and that is from the time of Christ's sacrifice to the time that he actually returns, not returns, the time of the tribulation. There's a vast amount of time in between that is not part of the 70 weeks, and then that, when, when the tribulation starts, it's the final week. It's called the 70th week of Daniel, and it's going to go how long? How long is the tribulation last? Seven years. That's the last week. Now, I just gave you the whole thing, but I wanted you to get, you know, that's the 70 weeks. 490 years, but it's, it's interspersed. You see 69 weeks. And then you see the 70th week, just like when it came to their disobedience. It wasn't that there were 409 years of total disobedience. They had times where they were obedient and disobedient, but it added up to 70 times where they're disobedient with the land. Okay? Now, let's go to the final thing. And that is, what will God accomplish during this time frame? And they actually are broken up pretty easy Verses uh, numbers 1, 2, and 3 are negatives. 4, 5, and 6 are positive. I believe this. Number 1, 2, and 3 started with the death of Christ. was accomplished with the death of Christ. Uh, numbers 4, 5, and 6 are going to be when he returns. Let's just look at them very quickly. The first one is this. This is what God is, intends to accomplish. This is the end, the end game, as it were. 
Number one, to finish the transgression. To finish the transgression. That's in the PL, which means the intensive. He's, he's going to finish the rebellion. <laughs> that, that, by the way, that, uh, that word, uh, finish the transgression, it has to do with a revolt. And you might say, well, what is the rebellion he's referring to? What is this transgression he is referring to? I think he had something specific in mind because he said it this way, to finish definite article, the transgression. The great rebellion. Now, often people think that the first sin was Adam and Eve. You know, like if I said, where did the first sin actually happen? Actually, the first sin wasn't Adam and Eve. It actually happened in heaven, right? With Satan. That was the first sin. That's where it started, the revolt of Lucifer and his angelic entourage. What was it, a third? Subsequently, they got cast out of heaven. Next came the fall of the human race through Adam. And then Eve, they both disobeyed, and they joined the insurrection, okay? The great rebellion continued with the apostasy of Israel, well, all of mankind, but then Israel was brought into it. They were chosen, they were given the law, they were given the promises, they were given the covenants, and yet they rejected idolatry. They worshipped other idols. So the rebellion started in heaven, spread to earth, and later even seduced the Old Testament nation of Israel. Again, the mastermind behind it is Satan. And by the way, is the rebellion continuing even to this day? Absolutely, and even getting worse. You can see it's getting more intense. Do you see that the labor pains are getting worse? The... Uh, persecution of Christians, the hatred of Jews. By the way, Jews can be saved or unsaved. Christians are, are, are believers. But again, the intensity against God's design, God's program is getting intense. And we come to the 21st century, and we are literally in the midst of this great rebellion. Now, for believers, I feel like sometimes we're like commandos behind the enemy lines seeking to survive, Right? But again, there's coming a day, and we're waiting for the return, who I believe he's, he's talking about the return of Christ, because we know who Jesus Christ is, Son of God, and he's coming, not in the rapture, but in the second coming, coming to put down the final rebellion. In other words, when he comes to this earth, he's going to squelch the rebellion, set up his kingdom, and then he's going to live with perfect righteousness for a thousand years. At the end, there's going to be a final rebellion, and that's going to be destroyed, and then the perfect state. But I believe that when it says to finish the transgression, by the way, these don't go in sequential order, but I think what he's looking, he's going, looking throughout the entire time of history from Daniel to the end, to the, the new heaven and the new earth, and he's saying, listen, there's coming a time that God, what is he going to accomplish? To finish the final transgression. The rebellion has been going on since Lucifer rebelled, but, but that's going to be the fine. There is going to be an end to rebellion. Let's look at the second one. To make an end of sins. By the way, that word sin was used in verse 5 when, when uh, Daniel was um, confessing his sins. Isn't it hard to imagine a world without sin? I mean, it's all around us. It's easy to think it's normal. But again, it's actually an aberration in one sense. That wasn't designed that way. God being perfect, there was perfection, but all of a sudden sin. Why? Because Satan fell, Adam fell, stained the entire human race. But again, during the kingdom age, things will be different. Righteousness will be the norm. Sin will be the oddity. Do you know how that is? That's going to be how it is. See, right now, sin is the norm. There's coming a day when righteousness is the norm. Let me put this in context, though. To make an end of sins. There's a present reality and there's a future reality. The present reality is this. Jesus made an end of sins when he died on Calvary. Ephesians says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Man, what a great thought. When Jesus died, when we receive him... 
He forgives our sin. That's the first step of this process, by the way. He died for sin, and therefore we don't have to be condemned by our sin. He made an end to sin. Now, some authors will say, and that's what Daniel is referring to here. It's just referring to Christ making an end for sin. But I believe that there's a future reality. The redemption that believers in Christ have experienced in the spiritual realm has yet to become a reality in the earthly realm. Remember Romans says this, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. The earth itself is just overwrought with sin. But there's coming a day, again, when Jesus Christ returns, where he sets up righteousness. And again, he will make an end for sin. Ultimately, in the millennial kingdom, righteousness will reign. Sin will be the oddity. Now you do say, but wait a second, there's still sinners there. Yes, there is. And there's a rebellion at the end of the thousand years. You're going to see that in a few weeks. But ultimately then, the the thousand year reign runs right into the uh, new heaven and new earth. And then finally, there's a total end to sin. See, why does, why does, Gabriel, why does God want uh, Daniel to know this? Because again, God accomplishes what he begins. God accomplishes what he begins. So he's going to make an end. And then finally, to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make reconciliation. That word reconciliation can literally be the word to cover or to atone. Alienation from God has always been our biggest problem. Do you realize that a lot of times we say, what is our greatest need? Do you know what is our greatest need? Our greatest need is that we are sinners, alienated from God, and we need forgiveness and brought into his family. That's our greatest problem, alienation. Again, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord enjoyed perfect fellowship with Adam and Eve. But when sin entered the picture, everything changed. The stain went through the entire human race. There was a barrier. But God wants to bring us back. And again, for believers, God has brought us back through Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to have to summarize it. See, what it is is, remember what it said in the very first part of verse 24. It says, for your people and for your holy city. This, this passage is not talking about believers. Because ha- have we had an end to sin in the sense that our sin is no longer condemning us? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, every one of those things can be said of us. The f- to finish the transgression, well, ultimately glorification, to make an end of sins, we're no longer condemned, but again, glorification, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. In other words, reconcile. We are reconciled to the Father. Th- those are all true of the believer. Ultimately, completely true when it comes to glorification. But here, the passage is talking about Israel. What about that nation Israel? What happens to them? And, and I believe that you can answer it. Let's just close out in Romans chapter 11. I have so much more, I'm just going to have to stop it. But what happens with Israel? Are they going to be off the chart? And there's an interesting verse in Romans 11:26, and it says this. So all Israel will be saved. And I've heard theologians over the years say, no, that's not Israel, that's the church. You know, that's where all millennialism comes from. Because how could all of Israel be saved? Isaiah said it this way. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made, made to give birth in one day? By the way, was the earth made in one day? Yes. Or shall a nation be born at once? Can a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children and basically said, you know what, God raised her up in one day. And the idea in that same passage, he's pointing to the fact that someday Israel will return to the Lord in one day. In the, in the, fray, or the sentence in verse 26 of Romans, and so all Israel will be saved is actually a true statement. Think about what's going to happen during Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble is the seven years of tribulation period. That's when Antichrist is in full force against Israel, and they actually flee to, the, to Petra. 
And there's an onslaught to kill the every last Jew. <laughs> and finally, the whole world, and I believe including the United States, turns against Israel, which we are right now. And finally, Israel has no one else to look to. I mean, they've been, they've been persecuted. They've been going through all the, the, uh, the tribulation um, curses because they're on this earth as well. And ultimately, they get to the very end and basically they're back up against the wall and they finally, as a nation, turn to Jesus Christ. And he comes and he rescues them and their faith is put in him. Now, you might say, well, how many? Right now, what is there, 12 million Jews? I think it is. Well, there was only 600 and some thousand that came out of Egypt as far as full-grown men back in the book of Numbers. I think by the time you get to the end of the tribulation, you're only going to be seeing hundreds of thousands of Jews versus millions. I think you're going to see most of them wiped out. But when the final, and that's, right, that's just postulation, but when, it, when, when they finally come to the very end of themselves, and most of them have probably been decimated, and they're running from everyone on this earth because everyone hates them (laughs) and they finally are against the wall and they have nowhere else to turn and Jesus Christ comes and they turn to him that's where verse 26 and so all Israel will be saved and what what Daniel is seeing from the 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 angel Gabriel is really the the completion and that's what he's getting at when it says to finish the transgression. In other words, the rebellion is going to be put down. Finally, even those rebel Jews will turn to me to make an end of sins which started on the cross of Christ because then for all believers, we have received Jesus Christ and been forgiven. But his black nation still has, as a nation, rejected him. Someday they will turn. And to make reconciliation for iniquity, reconciliation, that means that against versus friends. And they have rejected their Messiah, but on that day, they will be reconciled. They will receive their Messiah. And what started on the cross, each one of these started on the cross, finished on the cross, by the way, as far as sins. But each, each one of those first three statements are referring to Israel, who is at this point rejected, someday will embrace their Messiah, Yeshua. And that's what Daniel gets. In other words, God is not finished with the Jew. And next week, we're going to look at three specific things to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy, which is in Jerusalem, as far as his second coming. The first really refer more to his death. And his sacrifice, not only for believers, the church, but also ethnic Israel. But the second is going to be talking about a second coming. When all will see whom they have pierced. Again, this is a hard passage. But I guess I would, I wa- I would want you to remember just this one thing. <laughs> you say, boy, you've said so much. But just try to remember this. That God wants to bless us, but we must be obedient And he will go through great lengths to not only to get you to be obedient, but that he can bless you, right? Now think about what he does in your life, chastisement. He will pursue you like, as one man said reverently, as the hound of heaven. If you're one of his, he will pursue you. Do you you realize that? I mean, I think we forget that because we think we can sin and still be blessed. And God says, no, I will pursue you because I have called you to righteousness because I myself am righteous and holy. But the same thing goes on with Israel. An ethnic people who are in rebellion against God and Daniel finds out that it's going to take hundreds of years and a massive amount of uh, trials and tribulation in their life, even going, as we find out in Revelation, through the tribulation of seven years where millions most likely will die. But in the very end, God accomplishes his purpose and all Israel will be saved because those final few Jews that are left will turn to their Messiah. That's how, that's how um, perseverant, <laughs> persevering our God is. He will accomplish his his plan. He will accomplish his goal. And I just say for myself, and I would trust for you, you know, why fight against it? (laughs) Really? If God has called me to holy, let us be like Daniel. 
and confess our sins and focus on him and say, Lord, bless me because I know through obedience you will bless me. Let's not fight against what he wants to do in our lives. Let's stand. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And as we uh, are going to be studying Daniel, this, as we're backbone to prophecy, give us wisdom, give us encouragement to know even though this world is falling apart, literally, that uh, your word is true, your purposes will be accomplished. And Father, I thank you that as believers, those who have received the sacrifice of Christ, that we are forgiven, that even as these three statements that our transgression and our sins and our iniquity have been taken and put on the cross and that we no longer have condemnation because we're in Christ. And Father, remind us of the the grace and the mercy that you have had towards us. I pray that you would uh, help us to have uh, perseverance in our own walk of holiness, knowing that you have been so gracious to us to forgive and bringing us into your family. And Father, again, we thank you for... um, the insights from your word and your Holy Spirit. And and we do confess that we live in a very wicked nation and judgment is coming and has come and continues to come. And yet, Lord, we confess to you that we want to still live righteously here. Uh, Help us to know how to live in community. Uh, Help us to know how to even confess the sins of this nation, Uh, to do what we need to do as believers not to necessarily rescue the nation itself, but to rescue those within this nation. Help us to be quick to know the gospel and share the gospel, because that's where the real need is. And again, we thank you that even when it comes to the nation of Israel, your purposes will be accomplished. We know they will have to go through great suffering and great trials, but in the end, those who are left will all turn to you. And Lord, we know therefore that that your purposes will be accomplished, and we are very confident of that. We take encouragement from that. We get hope from that. Just guide us along the path. Keep our eyes looking up. In Jesus' name, amen.